It's another week in the foyer of Friends Household and it's another course. It's actually the last fourth and final course of the 2023 Reference Diga Station. Mm-hmm. Yeehaw! Finally made it. You know that one Diga Station we went to OT um, that had like the parsnip uh, ice cream cone? Mm. That's what this feels like. <laughs> um, but if you haven't watched or if you haven't caught up on the Mickey run, um, I just want to take the opportunity to say love, splooshes, and all the thanks to all of our friends and lovers for joining us. We have made it to four years. I'm very excited for the Splooshes Awards, but just like vegetables in our dessert, we need to get through this so we can get to the nasty. Mm-hmm. Let's get on with the show. And lovers, welcome back to the Foyer Reference Household. You got your host, Katie. And OT. Breathe in humanity and breathe out retaliation. Deliver the wicked punch of first love this week. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> wow. Um Let's just get into general stats and information. If you just joined us hot off of our Itchy the Killer episode, we're riding the same sad wave, friends and lovers. Mm-hmm. Director Takashi Mike, in regards to writers for the screenplay, we have Masaru Nakamura, as well as for story, Munayuki Ki, in regards to when it was released. This was very interesting because we've dabbled in late 90s, early 2000s, and this is, I guess, a nice sort of revisiting Takashi Mike in May of 2019. In regards to actors, we have Masataka Kubota, who I told you looked very, very, very familiar. Death Note, as well as Tokyo Ghoul. Yeah. Yeah, we're sniffing and splooshing into handkerchiefs. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you're a weeb, you know, friends and lovers. Also revisiting, maybe continuing to permeate our urethras, Nai Omori. Our itchy uh, continued on, um, as well as Shota Somatana. So, wow, 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 wow. Let's get into the rankings before we talk about first impressions. Where are we? We are certified reference degustation wankers. So we have been to a few. Some of them give you not necessarily scorecards, but they give you the sort of notes and the sort of journey and the story that the whole degustation is wrapped into. You know, some some degustations are a mystery, a tasting platter of the world sensations, if you will. Um, this collection was definitely the most um diving into without any sort of context, right? Mm-hmm. I bet you're wishing for your dogma, Guillermo del Toro now, aren't you? <laughs> your Pinocchio is starting to feel it, OT. Mm. Um, but let's let's give a final, I, I guess you could call it a definitive in the four-year reference household ranking of all of the films that we've covered. Audition, Visitor Q, Itchy the Killer, as well as First Love. Uh, Visitor Q has to be the first one for me, followed Agree. by Audition. Agree. Then First Love, Closing off, Itchy the Killer. Do we also need to put a caveat that there's a massive, massive gap in between audition and first love or not? Yeah, there's a minor canyon in between. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much agree. Um, so, 
you know, then even if you listen to Ichi the Killer, OT made it clear that Ichi the Killer and our God T reference degustation rankings is at the bottom. And I don't think I disagree with you either, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. The highs were super high. The lows, unfortunately, continued to linger. We have like half an hour left of first love. <laughs> we were struggling. <laughs> well, I guess that doesn't um, speak well to, but let's get into first impressions. How did you feel about first? love how was your first love OT? i sort of actually was excited going into this um it felt different straight off the bat yes i agree and i was like okay i'm in for this yeah. i'm in and i think somewhere in between i got lost but it started off very strongly which was a positive and yeah i was i was eager to see his take on what first love is i thought it would be a romantic spin-off but that's just stupid me. That's as romantic as it gets. <laughs> Takashi's take on um, on a rom-com, eh? Yeah. <laughs> what about you? First Love offered a lot in way of updated production as well as budget. Um, there was definitely more of a story compared to other offerings. However, it did... F- it, it, it was hard to keep my attention um, throughout the duration of the film. Mm. There were, I, I guess you could say there were some interesting sort of elements. What I will say, there were some genuinely laugh out loud funny moments in this film. Yeah, I think a lot of those moments for me were brought by Kase, who was just such a ridiculous character. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Final course, final course, final course. Um, before he got shot in the shoulder, he was shouldering the whole film. Mm-hmm. I would say he brought a lot of the he brought a lot of what would make you want to stick around for the film. Absolutely, oh, hundred percent. I think it was a nice way to end this reference degustation, um, having that separation of almost twenty years from two thousand and one to two thousand and nineteen. Um, I don't think I'm ready to get off the Mika train just yet. You, by no means do you have to join me ot or friends and lovers but with the amount of catalog that he has i definitely want to give it another go i i'd be very surprised but i also wouldn't be very surprised if jojo bizarre adventure is one of the best fucking things i will ever watch wow also um we've been so busy doing the degustations happy 200th review episode ot How exciting, right? Wild. We just buried it in there, just like the slapstick comedy in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, We've incorporated ref maxes. So there's been instances or even with our Halloween, I think it was like seven to nine films that we did as a part of that one review episode. So we've definitely reviewed more than 200 film and TV, but for the actual like podcast episodes that we've released, this is our 200th. Noise. So uh, let's get into our common and recurring themes. Shout outs to our patrons that are brave enough to join us on this journey. We're going to get into general sort of questions. Um, how did you feel? Because I even hinted on it when we talked about first impressions. How did you feel about the general sort of production, the cinematography, the directing? Because I think I even mentioned in Itchy the Killer, it felt like they had more of a budget. They definitely did a bit more in regards to like visual effects in Itchy the Killer. Obviously, with a 2020s lens, it looks a bit cringe and cheesy. But at the time, I guess you can appreciate the visual effects and the budget that went into it. And then if you go all the way to First Love, there's definitely a difference in production here. 
Yeah, um, it was super vibrant, this one. Um, from the color grading, you could tell how much it, it had this modern look to it. Yeah. I think even emphasizing most of the violence in a, in, in a more modern take. Yeah. Um, I'd say a lot of the handheld shots also stood out to me. Okay. It didn't feel like Liam Neeson's token, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it was somewhere up there. Which is cool to see him exploring these new techniques that I've not seen mm-hmm. in his movies yet. So I quite enjoyed everything. It, it just felt different. It gave a different aura. Well, I'm actually just Googling what the actual rating is for First Love because Audition wasn't as as much balls to the wall as like Visitor Q or Itchy the Killer. But this film definitely felt a bit more, I don't even know if restrained is the word, but it didn't go full Mickey, if that makes sense. Mm. So according to um, Don Cheadle's internet, it's saying MA15+, which might be a rating that's more specific to the Australian sort of region, but it's somewhere in between like M and R, which I'm even surprised that it even made it that high in the rating. It's definitely not a PG-13 film, (laughs) but I'm actually surprised it got to that rating. But I guess to come to that, I don't know. And and maybe it's the same way that like you listen to like the bigger sort of money budget produced podcast. And I'm really into like indie podcasting because of if I can wank us so sploochily, um, the, the way that people can be real and the way they can dig deep into talking about particular issues or even, you know, reviewing films and entertainment and not feeling that sanitized sort of, um, sheen to a lot of it. So what I would say, say to that is what I would draw to um, First Love is it looked great. It obviously looked a lot smoother um, than the other offerings that we've watched, but neither does that make a compelling film be. I hear you, but I think it, it, it captured a lot of the essence of what the movie was um, better than I think Ichi did. Oh, absolutely. Um, and hopefully, nah, I, I, I was going to say, hopefully we get to see another Ichi, but no, please. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Are you not the inspiration? <laughs> but it, it did get my attention for quite a while. And I did find the characters interesting until, you know, it, it sort of lost its footing and its pacing um, towards the final third. But yeah. Just to clarify, I don't think this was a bad film. Exactly. Um, and this is, we literally just watched Itchy the Killer. So we watched these two back to back. So I think I am feeling the onerous the, the the I guess the flavorings of itchy is still on my palate, if you'll pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. And as we know, that's not a great place to be. All right, let's get into the next theme. This is something that I injected. Commentary on Japan slash the world. This was a very interesting film because out of all of the offerings, aside from like a couple of lines in Ichi the Killer, it all felt very insular, whether it was specifically about Japan or it was just insular to the stories that were being told in the four films that we're exploring. This felt more pointed outward, if that makes sense. Hmm, I guess so. To me, it felt more sort of pointed inwards in terms of the urbanization of sort of how Japan looked. Because we remember when they're talking about Shinjiku in Ichi the Killer. Yeah. We get to, you know, we're still in Shinjiku. Yeah. So it, it felt different. We get to see other sort of the, the relations between the Japanese people and the Chinese people. I think we also saw... Uh, was it Philippines? Yeah, the decapitated Filipino drug yeah. dealer. So, that felt pointed, if you'll pardon the pun. 
But that's yeah. what I mean. Like that, it, I felt a very us against them in this film. I just felt like it was, oh, look at the state of Japan now. I felt like all of the other countries in Asia can get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I pointed out an issue, the killer. It was like a throwaway line about Chinese pimps. <laughs> I'm like, what's the go with this? Mm. And then we apparently were following that thread all the way to our first love. Yeah, it does definitely paint a picture between the relations between the two countries. Right. So, yeah, it, it definitely does feel like that. Like, I don't think it's malicious, but it feels, I wouldn't say political either, but for a filmmaker that just kind of stayed in his wacky sort of borderland world, it felt really interesting that it it focused on the Chinese and the Filipino. And, you know, it, I, I just thought it was like, it came a bit out of nowhere to me. Well, like you said, we, after watching Ichi, there was definitely semblance of that in there. Mm-hmm. So it didn't come as a total surprise to me. I'm not saying they got the Doctanian treatment. Mm. Like, I'm not saying it was like super malicious to other um, ethnicities, but I just thought it was interesting. It was curious to me, that's all. Mm, fair enough. Let's get into the next theme. Uh, what is real and what is not? Did you feel any sort of distortion between fantasy and reality in this film? No, it didn't. It felt really grounded to me. I think focusing on Leo and Monica, uh-huh. um, yeah, felt really us getting different viewpoints from their, you know, from their sort of side. But it all felt real. Yeah. 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 Nothing outlandish or anything that felt, ooh, this is a bit removed from reality. There was outlandish things, particularly that Kasse did, but it all felt real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just did not die, did he? Oh, what is that even, man? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And then I think we even talked about Anichi the Killer. It didn't matter what it was real or not because it wouldn't have changed how he felt about the film. But I think it was very much grounded in the reality. I think it was, uh, of the four films, I think it was the most grounded in reality. Because mm. Audition definitely had its distorted sort of themes where you could argue whether it was real or not, right? Yeah. All right, well, let's go into direction and stylistic choices. This is from Rob. Unflinching graphic nature of the violence. This is interesting. Of all the films, how do you feel the unflinching graphic nature of the violence played? This is a tamed version of everything that we've seen so far. Right. It felt very held back. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe let's not go that gang hole with this one. You know what's interesting about this film? I feel like the body count was higher than his other films. Like, I feel like more people died, but they didn't die. But at, somehow more muted. Yeah, at the gruesome sort of intensity that we come to know and linger with. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think the difference as well with this is the women, the role the women played in this movie. Right. Was also completely different from what we've seen. Yeah. Um, they had their own decisions to make. They could hold up, a, you know, they could hold up a fight. Yeah. And the wire brutalized left, right and center. No. And the, the men actually listened to them. Yeah. Which was wild. Yeah. Mika the feminist after all. <laughs> Check out our audition episode if you want more context. Uh, friends and lovers. I absolutely agree with you. It was interesting, but also, I guess even, you know, recently we talked about Megan um, and how, I don't know, maybe in time we'll check out the unrated version. Right now I'm not necessarily interested, but we talked about in Megan how having a, I guess, a lower sort of rating for it really cut the legs off of what it could have been, right? Mm. I think we were still able to feel the full Mickeyisms without it going full balls to the wall. 
Oh, yeah. And, and somehow I think the movie did better in that regard as well. Like it performed yeah. better. Because we talked about unnecessary moments that kept repeating in Itchy the Killer. Like at some point we fucking got it, right? Mm. So, yeah. So I guess that's good to see that. But then maybe that's where the create, like the creativity, that maybe that's where the juices are for Mickey. Because that's where you get films like Visitor Q, you know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe it's traversing. I really hope in the plethora of Mickey madness that I can I can find another film that really gives me something to latch onto. Well, there's like eighty more to go, so yeah, I've, I'm I've sure definitely, we'll find one. <laughs> that could be its own side podcast, absolutely. And I'm sure a Takashi Mike um, podcast already exists. Otherwise, we can fill in the nipple cum squat market, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree with you. There was still violence in the film, but it wasn't unflinching at all. And we talked about how gratuitous Itchy the Killer was. It wasn't that. It definitely got its point across, um, but I guess it opens up to other audiences as well. Let's go into the next theme, the interaction between sex and violence from Ben. Was there sex in this film? Yeah, those innuendos as well when it comes to Monica. Okay, was there sex or were there innuendos? Uh... There was not really actual sex, but there were definitely <laughs> a lot of innuendos about what was going on. We knew Monica was sold to the Yakuza. Fucking disgusting father. Yeah, really ridiculous father. And I think there's also a semblance of Abby's brought in by the father to Monica as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, But uh, that's also interesting as well, because in other Takashi Miike films, they showed you absolutely everything in regards to that sort of abuse, right? In this film, we didn't see that. Yeah. But you still got it. Like, you didn't need to see it. It's interesting because when we did our Taika Waititi run, (laughs) we talked about how, you know, there's a theme of like an absent sort of father or, you know, a parent that has passed away. I think Takashi Mika's theme for fathers is that they're fucking shit. (laughs) And they all deserve a mic up their ass. (laughs) (laughs) I think another example will be Julie with Nyasu. With that, again, this is all innuendo. Do you know they... Julie cared super for Yasu. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't think there's a lot of that. It's interesting when a director is like, it, you, you come to know a director by a particular styling and it's not present in the film. Kind of when Miyazaki, <laughs> where people kept saying, Oh, he's got elements of like flying and planes. He's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> he just, you know, he proves otherwise. I don't know if this is the instance of, um, first love, but yeah. Sex was still a motivator in this film, but it wasn't depicted because for a lot of it, it was it wasn't consensual. A lot of the scenes that we had throughout all the films. So again, maybe it's great that we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. This is from Rob. Brutal justification to right the wrongs. I think this fits a bit more better than Itchy the Killer. Agreed. I think this would apply to uh, Leo mm-hmm. in his pursuit to free Monica from the clutches of the Yakuza. I I must say in my list of fortune tellers in film, this is my second favorite after Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. (laughs) Hey, we need to acknowledge our EGOT love and splooshes forever. We sure do. Fuck you, Tar. (laughs) Because Leo does 
Um, well, part of it is Leo thinking that he has nothing else to lose and is going to die. So he might as well help protect and save Monica. Yeah. And even when he did find out that, oh, I'm not going to die. It was just a clerical error. Then he still had this decision to make where he realized, oh, I didn't need to die for me to do the right thing. Yeah. Mm. Or you can still have that, um, I guess, braveness. Yeah. Being bold. You can still demonstrate that. Um, but I want to talk about the fortune teller for a little bit. What did you think about him? Did you think he was full of shit or did you think that he knew more than the doctors? Which is a very dangerous Quenon thing to say, but I just want to know your thoughts. Based off the movie alone, it seemed like he knew <laughs> he, he had his mojo running through. He had all the right answers to the point where, oh, you live a very long, healthy life. And Leo was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> he knew his he knew his stuff. For and sure. he, also something he said that you repeated while we were watching the film, he needed to find something to fight for. Mm. And Yuri was ab- absolutely that. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next theme. This is in regards to casting and characters. Um, I would also say the brutal justification of the means also applies to Julie getting um, revenge for Yasu. Yeah, she goes hard on Kasu. Like that final scene, I think I will always remember when I think about first love. It definitely should have cued, let the bodies hit the floor. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone just kept dying. And I guess they set up a very interesting sort of dynamic because you have the Yakuza on one end and then you have the Chinese sort of mob on the other end. Mm. And as we established the crooked cop as well, on the other hand. Definitely a lot of people playing a part in this. And yeah. I was hoping we would confront Yuri's dad though. Yeah. I think the fact that she went there and he was missing and the place looked kind of touched. Maybe it's the indicator that he had been killed. I hope so. But I just wanted that moment. I wanted her to have that moment rather. Yeah. Let's move on. Unchecked desires and passions. This is from Ben. Well, I think, uh, could we, could it apply to Monica's addiction? Okay. But that's as a result of her abuse. True that. Which is is more of the conversation. It is. It is to be fair. Um, I think my other example will be Kasu and the crooked cop. They have unchecked desires and passions of being corrupt. <laughs> oh, boo. They plant everything they plant. isn't sexy, boo. Everything they plant went completely wrong. Like it, it was so ridiculous. The first, the first 10, I think it was first 10, within the first 10 minutes of Kasu coming up with the plan, it was so hilariously Lord, I loved every aspect of it. I think you're stretching it by saying corruption. I know. It's still a desire. (laughs) Boo, super woke Mindy Kaling Velma. Boo. Wow. (laughs) Um, let's, Let's move on to the last theme. Um, that we have this from Ben women in dominant positions. This is great. This applies the most, I think. Yes. From, I think the two I see in the Chinese gang, Mm -hmm. uh, we had, we had Julie as well. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, Monica, she stood her ground, you know, she, she faced, 
she it, it came to a point where she faced her father and be it a hallucination or whatnot she still was able to kick him up the balls do you hallucinate and face your father is that, are you projecting right now <laughs> well she did manage to fight her demons and, and that's the most you can ask of a person man who's been through what monica has been through actually i see that i appreciate that sir apparently there's only one feminist in this house <laughs> There's only one consistent feminist in this house, OT. (laughs) I would say Julie is the best. Like she's like she's a fucking MVP in this film. Um, The way that she's just so swiftly, uh, she might have even gotten the first kill in this film as well. Yeah. And then she went back to the Yakuza again, surprisingly, but if the Yakuza are able to listen to a hysterical woman, anyone can do it, friends and lovers. Mm-hmm. But when she was like, I'll fucking kill. And then it's like, she could probably take them down more than the men in the room. hundred percent. She was driven, man. But can I just say, I've, I've, I'm putting some, I'm putting some knowledge in my holster. Are you telling me some bean flicking and um bean sniffing? Is a way to get me out of a dangerous situation. Yep. No nostrils are safe, friends and lovers. <laughs> You're gonna catch this splooshes. Mm-hmm. But she's great. I I really really thoroughly enjoyed her. Yeah, me too. Okay, we'll just um let's finish off with some general thoughts. Kase, okay, okay. Julie and Kase are the best things about this film. I think is the best way to say it. Yep. Even though Yuri and Leo are the main part of this, and if you go by the title First Love, they're the ones that you should be focusing on. They were they were probably the least interesting of the core sort of characters. I really enjoyed Julie and Kase. And going to Kase, there were two, again, of the funny moments in this film, I would say 99.9% were from him when he was trying to, that plan, like you said, everything that could have gone wrong in that plan absolutely went wrong. Mm-hmm. Occam raises that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them was him trying to get in the door and his wrist gets caught on the doorknob. Mm. Stupid. Yeah, I was like, that's you, man. <laughs> It's me. I've made it very clear. I'm not a ride or die. Yeah, put yourself in that situation. And the first thing you do with that taser is knock yourself out with it. (laughs) (laughs) That taser, I guess, came in handy um, throughout the film as well. And then there was also him punching the old lady. Yeah. And then getting surprised that she's dead. Yeah. (laughs) She's fucking frail, mate. It's probably a fifth fall of the week. Uh huh. Definitely one of the best characters in the movie. And as soon as Julian Kase died, there was nothing else to watch, really. Yeah. You know, always love seeing each in a different screen, but not. Nah, yeah. Really didn't add anything to it. I think even the end, it was good. Did what did you, you think about the animated sequence? I think it was just a way to not have to do <laughs> the stunts <laughs> in live action sort of production. And yeah, it's just a cheap way to get around it. It felt as out of place to me as the one in Kill Bill. Oh. Because it's, I don't know, animation is a sort of medium to me. It works well if you weave it throughout. Otherwise it does feel a bit like you said, et cetera, et cetera, dot, 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 budget. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. It was pretty. It was colorful. It didn't really add anything, especially since we were near the end of the film anyway. Mm. 
Um, again, friends and lovers, I'm sure it wasn't malicious, but the commentary about other Asian countries just felt very weird to me. Um, but I will also give grace that there have been commentary about people in like Japanese people as well. So, um, I guess on balance, I'm not, I'm not trying to challenge or call out, but I just, mm, there was a bit of a cringe. Like even the way they said decapitated Filipino drug dealer, that just felt weird. Chinese pimp, all of that sort of stuff kind of felt a bit weird to me. Um, but you know, again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to meet him at dawn. There was a Wim Hof method that they had. Ah. Um, and then there was also the moment where, um, Yuri saw her former sort of proxy hero. Yeah. And she does get closure saying that he ended up happy yeah. with a pregnant wife. And Oh, this- what pregnant wife? He forgot she was there. <laughs> That's the first love that they uh-huh. were talking about. Mm-hmm. And at least she did get closure on both fronts. Mm-hmm. The two things that she kept on fighting for uh, when it comes to her dad and her first love, pretty much. Or her first protector. Yeah. Before Leo came into the picture. I, I would have liked a bit more compelling themes in this film because, again, I think we can both agree that there was a more more of a story and a through line um, for this film compared to Ichi the Killer. But I wish there were more sort of stronger and more compelling themes. There were a couple of lines that I thought were interesting, but they didn't necessarily go anywhere, again, because there weren't necessarily any sort of compelling themes here. Um, but it had to do with the wicked, which is very biblical. It takes me back to biblical times, OT. Old Testament, if you're nasty. Mm. Um, this was said to Julie when Yasu died. This happens when you fall for the wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is also near the end. The morning light doesn't suit the wicked. Yeah, it doesn't suit the wicked, but they own that shit. <laughs> true. Yeah, true. But but I think the, the takeaway from me when it comes to Takashi Miki's sort of the four run movies that we've done is most of the time the main characters are in it. Uh-huh. And in the supporting roles, you'll find the gems. Yeah. This is particularly true for Ichi and and Fast Love. Yeah. Because we just talked about Cassie and Julie, mm-hmm. who were really good about who are really the best thing about the movie. Yeah. Leo's storyline was just not that good. Like Cole Young in Mortal Kombat 2019. Exactly. And Cole Young was a boxer as well or some shit, right? Yeah. yeah. We're gonna see um Johnny Cage soon. Ooh. Excited? Yeah. It's not going to be Joel McHale, though. I don't think I care. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I I guess this is... um Maybe this is the more pertinent question, especially for our film-loving friends and lovers. Do you think it's fair to have an overarching opinion of Takashi Mika's filmography in four films? I don't think he can, just by the sheer number of movies he's done. Mm -hmm. He does a movie every six months, and to some extent... We have to go through half his catalog to get a proper picture of exactly who he's like. Oh, because I think four movies does not a sample make. No. And um, if we can break the four-year reference matrix for a second, the reference degustations that we do are informed by the number of episodes we do in the year. Because we had so many episodes, 
we didn't need to do a reference degustation that was like six or seven movies long, like Django um, being our last, I think, 150th episode, right? Um, and then I think even before that, what was the last one? Hunt for the Wilder People. We also had House Moving Castle as well as like our 50 plus milestones, right? Mm. Um, so it would have been interesting to explore more of Takashi Miike, but I also feel at the same time, this is like, you know, when you go to like the gelato, sorbet ice cream parlors and they give you samplings of different flavors like I think we're good now like we just need to chill for a bit I definitely want to come back um, and revisit my unchecked desires be it corruption or otherwise Hmm. Um, and just to state myself a bit more in the filmography I feel like Takashi Miki is a bit more different in the directors that we've covered so far in that like you said, the breadth of his work kind of deserves a bit more of the watching experience, but also this is a sampling platter and I'm glad that we took this journey together. Me too. It it has definitely been a journey. I think one of the wildest movies I've ever watched is thanks to him. Yeah. And it's something that I won't forget at all. Uh, (laughs) We've watched it twice now. Yeah. And that's, we're talking about Visitor Q here. It definitely turned something in me that I didn't know I even needed to watch or expected to see. The ebb and flow has definitely been there with the flows being higher. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess in the FYR curriculum, you know, when you think about like Goku on Planet Namek or even most recently Ichigo in the Thousand Blood Year War, where, you know, where, where you have protagonists going through particular instances of training and they only go through particular stages when they're ready to face it. If we had watched Visitor Q very early in this podcast or or even us just being casual sort of moviegoers, I don't think we would have felt it to the splooshy depth level that we felt it now. I think it came at a very beautiful time in our lives and also as a part of the sort of film critiquing that we do at this podcast. Mm-hmm. A beautiful intersection of all of the film sensations, OT. 100%. Yeah. Ooh. Arigato, friends and lovers. Thank you so much for joining us four years of the For Your Reference podcast. Ooh. Are you excited for the splooshies, OT? Sure am. Got some very tasty nominations on the way, friends and lovers. Um, if you want to check out the rest of our reference degustations, please feel free to go ahead. Usually this is where we do the For Your Reference segment, but again, this is a set menu. So the recommendations are Audition, Visit a Queue, Itchy the Killer, and First Love. Mm-hmm. If you would like to love Sploosh and fight with us on Twitter and Instagram, we're at For Your Pod. Write us an email at hello at We're also on, we hit four years, motherfuckers. Podcast, if you like to leave a rating and review. And we'll see you guys at the Splooshies. See ya. Dress corruption sexy. Uh. Bye.